episode of the APPT Student and New Professional Podcast. This is your host for the episode, Natalie. Residencies are a hot topic in physical therapy right now, and many students who are graduating with their DPT aren't sure how it would affect their career or what their chances would be to get into one of the competitive residencies in the nation. We then went to our followers on social media for their questions about pediatric residencies. Those questions are what drove this episode. Josie and I had the pleasure of talking with Jim Moore and Sally LaCrasse, both who are directors of pediatric residencies. First, let us introduce you to our two guests. Jim Moore started out his career as an elementary school teacher and worked within an outpatient clinic with children in special education. He earned his master's of PT and then went on to get his PhD and is now the program director of the pediatric residency at the University of Miami and the Nicholas Children's Hospital. He also serves as the vice chair of residencies at the University of Miami and owns his own PT private practice. Jim was instrumental in starting the residency programs at the University of Miami. Sally LaCrasse is the Pediatric Residency Director at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Throughout her 26-year career, Sally has worked in an acute care center in Virginia, a private practice in a home care center in Denver, and then has continued with Cincinnati Children's since, where she oversees other residencies and fellowships along with being the director of the Pediatric Physical Therapy Residency. I hope you all enjoy a conversation and learn more about applying for and getting prepared for pediatric physical therapy residencies. Here we go. Yes, we'll get right into it and start with kind of a big question that I'm sure is hard to answer, um, but it's on everybody's mind when they're applying to residencies. So what kind of qualities are you looking for in your applicants and what makes them stand out? So in terms of uh, qualities in applicants, we are definitely looking for somebody who has had um, experience with a pediatric clinical. Our residency program has um, historically hired new graduates, although we have also taken individuals that have one or two years of experience as well, but we don't have a preference for taking folks with experience. Our hospital setting is um, set up with some pretty comprehensive competency programs that any new hire has to go through in order to practice in different uh, sub-settings in our uh, uh, facility. Um, So when we're looking at applications from new graduates, uh, obviously looking for somebody who's had some experience in pediatric physical therapy clinical Occasionally, there are applicants that have had two, although I know that's very challenging uh, (laughs) to get as a student. Um, The other thing, obviously, grades and letters of recommendation that really speak to individuals' leadership skills and um, primarily that. They're going to speak to the individual's academic accomplishments, but uh, we want to see somebody who's an emerging leader. And along with that, um, the ones that have really stood out to us are folks who have volunteered with individuals with developmental disabilities or have worked in that setting. So sometimes a student will work in a client's home, um, helping with ADLs um, or performing maybe stretches or other activities with a, um, an individual that has been set up by a PT 
um, I think that gives the applicant a really unique insight into what some of the families are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. But the opportunities the standout candidates have also pursued are things like volunteering with Special Olympics or as a camp counselor at a camp with for children with developmental disabilities. So they have a really good understanding of the variety of diagnoses they might see and understand the child in their family setting and their community setting as well. Right. What about you, Jim? Anything that you can add on that? Well, I kind of agree. I would agree with pretty much everything Sally said. Um, there's there's about 25, maybe a little bit more, applic- um, openings for pediatric residencies throughout the nation. So basically, it's pretty competitive. So we're really looking for a, a really strong applicant that has some kind of history yeah, of experiences with children. It doesn't have to be that they served as a PT. So Work, work experience is preferred for us, but it's not required. And we've accepted probably in the last few years more new graduates um, than practicing clinicians. But those new graduates had, a, had evidence of really strong pediatric clinical experiences. Maybe those were like reflected in their references. And like Sally said, they had some kind of volunteer experience, maybe in special olympics or dealing with a family that kind of thing and then for us our program is really looking one of our components is research so we really are looking for someone who might have an interest or has participated in some kind of research in their program absolutely and i think research is a big part of why people really look into residencies because sometimes our three years of pt school hasn't really geared us up to the point of being able to do independent research fully. And so having that kind of mentorship through that is um, an amazing opportunity. So when it comes to that kind of research, I guess, how do the programs help as far as finances and mentorship? Do students have to pick their own um, research? Do you guys kind of guide them in a direction where your faculty tends to... um, specialize in research and then finances so we have five residency programs under our umbrella in um and you know five different specialty areas and so all of our programs require the residents to do a capstone project at the end of the year that's presented in a research symposium so from the beginning um residents are you know informed that they have a research um requirement and they're mentored in developing, implementing, and disseminating that, that research at the end of their residency year. Uh, we financially, we, we do provide some financial support, um, definitely for submission, if they submit for a presentation, a poster, or a platform, or something like that. Anytime they have to develop any presentation materials, and then... If they are accepted, we do fund travel and lodging and they get time off from the, you know, the residence position uh, if they're accepted. Wow, that sounds great. Do you think in your conversations with other programs that um, if they're not as policy driven with something along those lines, do you think that that's something that you could 
um, ask about during your interview or possibly negotiate into kind of your contract as a resident? I think it's something that you would want to ask the residencies when you're being, when you're interviewing, because I think that's what makes residency programs unique. Not all residency programs are going to be how, like we're housed in a research institution. And so, you know, that kind of thing is really um, fostered here in, in the academic setting we have and in the clinical setting. So we're, we're very supportive of that. But, you know, maybe other programs that are maybe not affiliated with an institution or maybe uh, programs that are in a, uh, like in a school-based setting, they may not have the same opportunities we have. But I definitely would ask the programs you know, what, what their expectation is for research and what kind of support they provide. Right. Sally, how does your program uh, deal with the research aspect of a residency? Absolutely. So um, our residency program, the uh, residents actually do most of their learning and project development in the LEND program. So our LEND program is two days a week, and one of the four units they cover is on research. Um, work with advisors, faculty, and LEND to develop a project. Typically, there are some faculty-driven projects that are already in the works, but they can sort of add to those. And the rate in that um, setting tends to be more qualitative, um, more surveys, uh, that kind of thing. And then at the end of the year, they do a, a presentation uh, with the other LEND program, which is at Ohio State University at the Nisanger Center. They do a joint um, research development day. We have found some of that research has not been as uh, PT uh, focused. And we have a faculty member who's recently um, obtained her PhD. Um, we also have some uh, who's doing research in torticollis and and our idiopathic toe walking group is also doing um, research and working on a, a clinical practice guidelines. So we have had some work for the resident to do in the summer on some of those projects. Um, so that's kind of added to their overall research experience. But to Jim's point, um, what is required of residency programs in pediatrics is that research covered as some sort of a unit. And it might be primarily didactic. They might do more learning about research methods and um, you know, basically that research method, how to carry out um, a research may not actually participate in one while they're in their residency program. So there's not a requirement that we have to do a research project while they are in the residency program. So again, that would be a question to ask if that is a, an area of interest. And that's where you'll start discerning what's the best match. So when we talk about the best candidate for our program, um, we're actually looking for the best match of the person's um, abilities and what shows up on their resume and their interview skills, but also their interest and how they align with what our strengths are as a residency program. Can, can I, I'd like to piggyback on something you said, Sally. Um, you know, as far as the, the research goes, one of the, one of the requirements, like she was saying in our guidelines is that 
we do, um, you know, talk about research methods and that kind of thing, but the application of that in critically reviewing um, literature to really drive evidence-based practices where, where the, the crux of this whole thing is, you know, you want people to be astute readers of the literature and being able to, um, you know, you put it into practice if it's applicable. And so, you know, maybe your, your goal is not to necessarily develop a project, but it is to be a informed consumer of literature. I completely concur and uh, definitely agree that that is what should be the hallmark of any pediatric PT uh, clinical expert. And any PT practitioner um, should be very uh, well-skilled at reviewing the literature and determining what is what is evidence-based and should become part of their um, their practice. Absolutely. And I found a lot. I don't know if prior to the DPT, um, it wasn't as thoroughly stressed. I know that we walk into our clinicals and they're constantly asking, you know, what is that evidence-based? You know, we walk into situations with cupping and where are we at with dry needling and blood flow restriction. And um, I think that in the DPT programs, that is a value that is held throughout from what I've heard from other students is the importance of that. So it's nice to hear that that continues throughout um, education in the physical therapy realm. So I recently listened to a Mike Reinald um, episode about doing a residency, and he spoke on the same kind of topics that you guys just mentioned on does the residency fit you and do you fit the residency? It has to be a match and you have to be in the residency for the right, the right reason. Um, And so research is one of those. I know having the opportunity to teach at some programs is what people look for. Um, And everything along those lines is usually on your guys's websites pretty blatantly because I don't think you want to hide that from any of your applicants. Um, Another thing that is found in some programs, like you mentioned, Sally, is the LEND program. And for our listeners who may not know what that is, LEND stands for Leadership Education in Neurodevelopmental and Related Disabilities. Um, So Sally, could you elaborate a little bit on how your program uses that and what you do in the LEND program specifically? Sure. So um, I would would have probably better numbers than I do, but I would say probably about half of the pediatric physical therapy residency programs are associated with a LEND program. LEND is financed through a federal grant through maternal and child health, and it's basically designed to develop leaders in the area of healthcare for children with developmental disabilities. So it's an interdisciplinary program. There are trainees um, in the program from uh, occupational therapy, audiology, speech pathology. There's usually a family advocate, um, typically a parent of a child um, or two with disabilities, um, a pediatrician. And so the learning that happens across the year in leadership, research, um, and developmental disabilities is done in this interdisciplinary context. That's one of the big things coming out of school as a clinician, especially in pediatrics, is that there are so many different specialties that a child with a medical condition might see. 
and understanding the role of the pediatric physical therapist in helping that child achieve their best outcome is really important. Um, and in some places, our roles overlap with another's, and it's learning how to negotiate uh, where, what is the best uh, match for the child's needs. Um, so during the year, there's opportunities for the resident or the, um, they're in Lynn, they're called a trainee, but our resident in Lynn does presentations on pediatric physical therapy um, topics to their other um, cohort, rest of their co cohort. Um, and they also will do a multidisciplinary evaluation of a single child. So they'll come to multiple different disciplines on separate days. And then the group of collective um, experts or trainees in those different areas will talk about um, the child as a whole, sort of talk about what the priorities are for intervention for this child and family. Um, and, you know, in isolation, in our professional silos, it's easy to think that all of the things we are seeing as impairments and functional limitations are the priorities until you take into account their nutrition and their social status and their fine motor skills. And so really understanding that we play a small role in the child's overall um, health and development. Um, so that's what LEND is for our program. I think it would be that way for most of them. It's the same grant, um, but LEND can vary a lot in terms of how many hours are devoted to LEND in a residency program. And there are also many LEND programs across the country that are not associated with a pediatric physical therapy residency program. Some of them even take graduate level CPT students while they're school. Wow, thank you. Um, that was a lot more than I found about the program. So that's really interesting to hear about and how important to know also how another profession is looking at the picture and then how we can utilize the professions around us because we're not going to fix everything. Um, and I think we know that. So knowing where to refer is an important task there. One of my professor's um, sayings is she always says, treat the whole patient, not the whole in the patient. <laughs> so I think that's really awesome that this residency keeps that multidisciplinary approach going. And so that way you can learn not only more into about pediatric physical therapy, but pediatric nursing and audiology and occupational therapy and all those other professions that you'll be working hand in hand with. Absolutely. And then I didn't see on your website, Jim, do you guys at Miami utilize the LEND program at all? So we actually have one of the first LEND programs in the nation, but we do not participate with the LEND program. Um, when we developed the pediatric residency program, we actually um, had more content than the, our LEND actually had as far as its interdisciplinary approach. So we, we do not participate. However, like Sally was saying, our DPT program participates in the LEND. So the DPT students actually that are interested in pediatrics in their last year can participate in the LEND and get a certificate at the end of the year for completion. So I think it's a great experience and definitely it drives uh, this uh, interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary approach. But, you know, again, our, pro our residency program 
has uh, speakers and interaction with other disciplines already, and it would have been more it would have been more difficult, I believe, to plan all of those things to be able to get them to complete their capstone project and all the other projects, and then the lend requirement at the end of their residency year. That sounds completely understandable. And so also brings to light, I guess, for students who are listening and questions you may want to ask residencies. If they don't participate with their LEND program, it's great to ask what kind of interdisciplinary content they have throughout their curriculum. Right. So we know with residencies, you guys have a pretty stringent set of guidelines that you have to meet to be accredited and make sure that you're hitting all of the important points that we need to know. Um, I was wondering what kind of outside opportunities do you offer or encourage your residents to take advantage of in your specific residency? So they're pretty busy. Our residents are pretty busy during their residency year. So some of the outside activities they participate in would be related to as far as continuing ed they they're able to go to a continuing a continuing ed course if it's relevant to their residency education so the university and the hospital settings all have in-house and they bring in um, continuing ed so residents are able to participate in those for example um, billy cusick's biomechanics course was here our residents participated um, Mary Mastery did mm-hmm. one of her uh, respiratory breathing workshops, and they went to that. I believe, Sally, they actually came up to, is it, I believe Nationwide has the, the Hind training. DMA. And, and they actually participated in that. So they're able to do that. They also participate in community-based programs that are within the Nicholas Children's Hospital community. So... There's a, there's a clinic on um, overweight and obesity, a program called Healthy Chicas at the Nicholas Children's Hospital that they help to provide the exercise intervention for them. They participate in hospital rounds. There's two specialty clinics that they um, are able to work in, a spasticity clinic and a movement disorders clinic for children with muscular dystrophy. So there's a lot of opportunities, you know, again, there's a lot to do. So we try to make sure that those things that they do participate in um, kind of supplement what we're doing in the residency program. Right. That makes total sense. I spoke to a resident um, earlier this week and she told me, if you thought you were busy during PT school, just wait until you're in a residency. (laughs) So I'm sure it's hard to find time to do, you know, everything they probably would like to do on the side outside of the residency. Right. Sally, what do you guys do up at Cincinnati? Sure. So as part of the LEND program, they're involved in several um, community-based programs. Uh, One of the things that our our LEND program is currently doing is improving the experience of children with autism to some of the community-based activities such as the zoo, and they have a grant to improve uh, the ability of those children to participate. So our resident this year is going over to the Cincinnati Zoo, which is actually next door to our hospital, and helping to look at um, access throughout the um, zoo, you know, whether they're able to get up and down hills, um, and what the experience is like from a sensory standpoint and a physical standpoint. Um, another thing that our residents are involved in is a program called 
Ballet Moves, which was developed with the Cincinnati Ballet Company and Program for Adaptive Dance with Children with Down Syndrome and Cerebral Palsy. And um, there have been some posters and uh, there actually will be a, um, a research article published on the outcomes from the early uh, rounds of this uh, adaptive dance program. So our resident can participate in that. Um, they usually sign up for every other Sunday or once a month um, in the fall or the spring. They also, in terms of conferences, well, just to backtrack a little bit, there's a number of wellness opportunities um, that our OT and PT division help to sponsor. And uh, they also can go to observe an aquatic uh, therapy session, which we also have aquatic wellness uh, for patients. Um, in terms of conferences, we were fortunate last year, Cincinnati had the American Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy was Cincinnati. And this last, this fall, we had um, the Academy of CP and Developmental Medicine. So um, both of those years, our residents uh, attended that, those conferences. Um, every year we give money towards attending uh, combined sections. So our residents attend that during their residency year. And then there are also conferences in-house that um, if there's one coming, they can attend. We just did a day long on idiopathic toe walking. Um, they attend the sports ortho uh, conference every spring. I think that covers it. But again, it's how much time do you have to talk about all the different. <laughs> so yeah, just trying to focus them on what's required um, for the residency accreditation. Sally, one, one thing I'd like to add, and this goes for both of us, is... Um, Sally and I were able to, there, there was a call for um, residencies to participate in um, the four-step meeting. And uh, Sally and her resident and me and, a, and our resident were able to present at the four-step meeting, which actually, you know, it develops the resident's skill to present at a national meeting. And, you know, for our resident, actually that participation has kind of spiraled off into her developing uh, the neuromuscular clinic at the hospital after she completed her residency year and um, onto a publication. So I think that, you know, because we're involved in many things, many of the residency directors have the opportunity to um, place their residents in positions that de will develop other skills um, that will allow them to move forward at a community and a national and, and hopefully even an international level. Absolutely. Wow. That sounds, I mean, that sounds like a great opportunity. And it also sounds like since there aren't that many residents, oftentimes from what I've seen, it's one to two residents per program. I've seen up to four or five at one program, but it allows a little bit more of an individualized educational program as far as you know, where do you want to focus? So your participants' um, ability to be part of the four-step meeting led her down a road that she didn't anticipate but is now super interested in. So is that really right. how it is? Do you kind of have a little bit more of an individualized educational program? We do. Every every cohort is different. I mean, we have the basics that we need to, re we need to present, but every 
resident is unique and what they bring to the table is unique. And so we end up contouring or having to retool the didactic or the educational and the clinical experiences for each cohort. And I would also say to add to that, that the opportunities vary from year to year. So fourth step is a joint meeting between the neurology section and the psychiatric section of the APTA. And it only happens every five to 10 years. So that was very unique opportunity. And the resident that presented, it was a phenomenal opportunity for her, but our preparation for that started two years prior. So there were residents the two years prior that were helping us to determine what would be the most appropriate children to feature in these video-based case studies that we were presenting. Um, And so the other thing is we will tend to ask a resident what some of their top interests are. We had a resident one year who was very interested in brachial plexus injury. Uh, She has a sibling with that disorder. And we were able to get her some time in the BPI clinic, which wasn't part of our typical rotation in the specialty clinics. Um, Another year, there was a big interest in international adoption. So that resident spent some extra time in the international adoption clinic. So yes, tailoring it to them is an important piece of try to do, but also trying to hook them up with the most appropriate opportunities while they're with us as well. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't even know that a clinic like that existed. So another tip for our listeners would probably be to ask what types of specialty areas they'll be able to see with your clinical, well, with your residency, I'm sorry, and how that might change their education a little bit because I know certain residencies have a large interest in kinesiology so they have pretty high-tech gate labs and an international adoption clinic I'm sure is not something that every residency has so that's a really interesting point that you made Mm. and that kind of jumps us into our next question um, about what type of settings that your residencies cover whether it's a little bit of inpatient home health school setting do they get a little bit of everything or some things so what settings do your residencies cover um at cincinnati children's our resident spends two days a week in outpatient physical therapy they spend one day a week functioning as a school-based and they spend two days a week in the LEND um, program. When LEND and the school finish May and June, they spend time in inpatient um, doing uh, neuro rehab, inpatient neuro rehab, as well as uh, acute care and NICU. Um, I will say that our pediatric programs will be coming under new quality standards that we have to meet by 2020. So there are some new requirements in terms of settings that residents will have to participate in or have didactic uh, information in their um, residency or about. And the one that we don't currently have as part of our uh, routine is the EI, um, not just birth to three, but um, utilizing Part C of IDEA. So we are looking now to partner with some local PI providers um, to get the hours needed to meet our accreditation standards that are that are um, coming down the pike. Um, 
each residency program will differ in terms of how much time they spend in different settings. And in addition to these primary settings, they spend um, several days a year in our home health um, setting. They spend a number of days in various uh, specialty clinics, some of which I've mentioned. So um, every program really differs. That's basically how our program is set up. And so that, that is actually one of the things that any person applying to a residency should ask up front is what settings that you're exposed to. Because like Sally said, there are requirements. We all will have to cover inpatient, outpatient, um, early intervention and school-based services by 2020. Um, the percentage though of the way we cover those things, there's a minimal percentage. And so for us, five, about five, five and a half months of our residency is in inpatient acute care. So they're in the NICU, all of the intensive care units um, within the hospital. And then the remain, the other five, five and a half months is spent in an outpatient clinic within the Nicholas Children's system. The other piece of the program is our school-based and EI program. Those are housed within the University of Miami at their Debbie School and Mailman Centers. And so our residents spend that remaining month, uh, about a month, in those settings. So if you were to come and interview with, with us, I would tell you our focus is inpatient and outpatient services. And we do cover school base and EI. But if that's really what you're interested in, probably a different program would be where you'd want to go. So I wonder, how do you work on the transition between um, different settings? Because I know as you bounce around at clinicals, it takes us about a week or two to figure out how the clinic works, figure out, you know, all of the tools that we have available to us, whatever documentation system is being used. Is that what you kind of find with your residents? And is there some leeway time or is it kind of you're just thrown into it and you get your caseload right away? Well, we have two residents. And so in the transition, the week before we transition, our residents are talking to each other and debriefing each other on their caseload because they have an established caseload that they're going to be assuming. Right. So I guess they just switch caseloads and hopefully are up to speed within that week transition then. Well, for the, for the hospital, we, the, um, the way it works for our schedule, um, our, so this would be another question you could ask. Our residents work on the weekend. One works on a Saturday and one works on a Sunday. So on that Saturday and Sunday is hospital-based. And so both have experience and both are on board in the hospital the entire year at some point. Um, it's the outpatient clinic that there may be some, you know, getting acquainted with, but uh, it has never been a problem. So our residency program, in terms of transitioning between the different settings, we actually have a six-week onboarding process. Actually, it's longer than that. I should say it's an eight-week onboarding process for the institution and a developmental competency that also includes torticollis, uh, idiopathic toe walking, and other developmental conditions it goes over family-centered care, safety, um, grief and coping, 
in the family of a child with a developmental disability. And all that's covered in those first eight weeks, in addition to epic and learning about processes of how we do things in the outpatient setting. Um, when they start in school, there is onboarding um, that happens as well, but it doesn't take as long. And there is also an introduction to LEND. Um, what we're trying to work out in the inpatient setting is having them do at least one competency so that they can practice independently. So um, we're not allowed to just walk into a clinic and start treating a patient or in the hospital setting. They have to be signed off on um, certain competencies um, before they can do that. So in the inpatient setting right now, they do spend time, most of their time is one-on-one -on -one with a mentor. Um, might be leading the session, uh, but they, but the mentor is still there because they have not, um, there's not time built in right now, but we're looking to change that uh, for them to pass their inpatient competency to be independent practitioners. Okay. So one of the other things that we've, we've added, and I think that many programs are looking at doing this because um, as a new graduate, um, a lot of, a lot of new graduates aren't used to being a physical therapist and autonomous physical therapist. And so what we've done now is we've onboarded the person two weeks before the residency starts. And those two weeks overlap with the graduating residents. And so the graduating residents, uh, in addition to like, you know, hospital or systems onboarding, those new um, experienced residents actually help to onboard the new graduates or the new, the new residents. So it's an opportunity for the outgoing resident to have some time mentoring another individual, which is really fantastic. And yeah. our program does that as well. Our program is 13 and a half months in length because of that developmental competency. There's an overlap of about six weeks between the two residents. Do you see um, that there is a big difference um, in how long it takes students to become comfortable practicing um, between those who just got out of school and those who have been practicing for a while? I think Jim makes a very valid point in that new grads are still um, working out this role identification as a physical therapist. And I will agree with the comment you said earlier, which is that you know, someone told you that you thought you were busy in PT school and, you know, wait till you do a residency. Actually, I don't remember being as tired as I was those first six weeks of practicing as period because it was all day long. I had, I was on my, I had to be on my toes mentally and physically. And so there's a lot to kind of get under your belt, so to speak. Part of it is personality and part of it is experience. And I will say that Experience by itself is not necessarily helpful if it wasn't good experience. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think that one thing that we try to do with all of our residents is make sure they understand that we're here to help them improve their critical thinking, and we will meet every resident where they are in their journey um, and with their personal learning styles. And on top of that, you know, some residents 
if they are, um, a lot of our residents are very type A. Um, I often have to remind them in October that they're not going to learn it all tomorrow and they won't learn it all in one year. This is the beginning of a lifelong journey of learning. I'm still learning as a um, pediatric clinician. So I think the bigger piece is, you know, really, it probably boils down to a little bit more to personality and, um, and just reassuring them as a director, as a mentor, faculty member. Yeah, I do think that it's a little more challenging, at least for us, the experience I've had, even if it's not a new grad, if it's an experienced clinician that has never been in an inpatient um, facility, that onboarding them takes longer. And, and, we're, and it's, worth the, it's worth the effort of onboarding them in a structured way instead of just putting somebody in a hospital acute care setting and, and, you know, oh, this person has experience, but they really haven't had hospital experience. So I find we spend a lot of time with any of our new residents, whether they're new graduates or experienced clinicians going through that process in the inpatient setting. Definitely. And Sally, I, I really like what you said that um, they're not going to learn everything by October, they're going to take pretty much the rest of their career to continue learning. And then what Jim said about how you may not have gotten experience in one certain setting, even though you've practiced, I think that's one of the beauties of physical therapy as a whole is that um, there are just so many different areas to practice in, which kind of makes us a very versatile career choice. Absolutely. Um, So we have one other question. You guys both mentioned competencies, and so I was wondering how um, you test for these competencies in order to ensure skills are mastered before starting into the clinic. So our competency program um, is fairly um, structured, and there are a number of modules, typically PowerPoints, on Blackboard, and the incoming resident has to complete the education on Blackboard and take a quiz. And then the key is to apply it to the patients immediately. And so um, let's say they do a unit on standardized testing and uh, they've taken the quiz. The part that happens clinically is that the resident observes a Peabody, a BOT, an AIMS, et cetera. And then the resident um, performs each of those and is mentored through the process of scoring and interpreting the results and uh, sharing them with the family. Um, and so it's a skill-based checkoff, but there's also, um, there's also quizzes and didactic things like you would have found in school that they have to do as well. So we have a, um, we have a residency evaluation kind of like the CPI that you had as a DPT student. Um, not as long, but, <laughs> um, but it's something that they evaluate themselves with and the mentor when they first start. And they also do it at the end of six months and at the end of a year. So that's one form that they're filling out as time goes on. They self-identify their weaknesses or their areas that they need to feel more competent in. And then the um, mentor, you know, Pretty much all along, and I'm sure that Sally has a similar thing, but we have a a tracking form that goes along with mentoring sessions. And so 
with mentoring sessions, you have objectives. And did you meet your objectives in that mentored session, that structured mentored session? If you didn't, then the next time you get mentoring, you should be addressing those issues and making it so that you achieve those goals. So they identify goals in the beginning. They work on those every week through their structured mentoring sessions. And then in our program, and I'm not sure whether this is what you're asking, but in our program, we have four written exams and the final is an accumulative one and then four live patient examinations and during the live patient examinations they're videotaped two times doing an evaluation and then the other two times are doing doing a treatment and then those are graded on a rubric and reviewed with a resident and if there's issues then um, an action plan is developed and they have to work on doing that as far as competencies go goes specific competencies we have a biomechanical competency that they have to meet so that's doing a biomechanical assessment interpreting results that takes about the first three months of the residency program and then we have a baby competency um, checklist that has to be done in the outpatient and in the inpatient setting and those are checked off as the resident meets those expectations by the mentor so as you go through your competencies, is it self-guided in the sense that it's not you do A and then B and then C and you kind of check them off as you see them and you master them? Or is it a little bit more directed in the sense that you have to accomplish one before you move on to the next? Some of them are that you have to go through one step to get to the next step. And some of them are things you could be doing in, in the same time, I think. Right. Absolutely. It depends. That's good to know. So another question um, that our listeners had for you is um, to explain the differences in residency programs that they should consider when choosing a program. So like pay, um, different rotations, workload type of things. Um, and if any of these are negotiable. So I think it is a challenge as a new graduate to know what setting you're going to be most interested in, but some folks do know that they have a very high interest in inpatient or school-based, and so they should really be looking for residency programs that spend a good amount of their year in the in that specific setting. If there is an interest in terms of a specific diagnosis, and um, they know that ask questions about whether that is something that's covered, or maybe that is an active ongoing research project, in that institution, then that would also be another sort of thing I would star and say, well, that aligns with my interests and values. Um, in terms of whether workload is negotiable, I will tell you that um, in our letter of acceptance, we actually um, write that we expect the resident will be spending 55 to 60 hours a week um, working. And that's not all in the clinic. It's their clinical time is only 40 hours, but again, we're talking about some of those community-based programs, and then there's all of the didactic readings, some of which are preparation for a specific um, specialty clinic observation. Um, that was the thing you asked about earlier. Sometimes the way we prepare them for a specialty clinic observation is the didactic work that needs to be done prior to attending that clinic. Um, I think that the person that's going to be successful in a residency 
therapy program is going to have very good organizational skills, just like you did in school. Start to look at the overall year um, about when things are due and, you know, we'll be able to stay on top of those tasks. We try to be very mindful of what LEND is requiring of them at the same time, the, you know, expected to do an outpatient at school. Well, we, we offer, uh, so our position is a full-time position and, um, you know, with a full-time position, you know, I mean, we expect them that, that the residents are going to be accountable for 40 hours a week minimal. And, um, 32 of those hours are expected to be productive hours and eight hours of that week are, um, dedicated to residency education. So, Four of those hours are clinical mentoring hours and four of those hours are educational hours. And you're gonna to have to spend more than those four hours reading and preparing um, to practice clinically and to perform the expectations you have in the educational modules that, that are being taught to you. So, I mean, it's, I think it's, you know, maybe I'm going to err toward way, the way you're presenting it, Sally. It is more than 40 hours a week when you fact, especially when you factor in the uh, educational requirements. And, you know, as a resident, if you have an opportunity to participate in something that's unique, like a spasticity clinic or, a, you know, a disabled, uh, you know, Special Olympics game or you know, something like that. I, I wouldn't say no if I was a resident. I'd say, yeah, bring it on. But, you know, there there are lots of opportunities that may not be scheduled that you might that might knock you off your your game if you're a person who's very structured to a 40 hour week. I think another question that they should ask about in terms of if a residency meet, meets their sort of goals, if they have a goal of becoming a, a PCS, you could ask the residency program how many of their graduates have applied for um, and passed the PCS exam and, and when that was accomplished. Was it the year after they graduated or several years? You could ask about what some of the other um, roles and jobs that um, their residency graduates have taken on after leaving their program, um, whether it was in the same institution or elsewhere. Um, so those are good indicators of how the residency programs have prepared them for a career in pediatric physical therapy. And so if you start hearing that a number of their residents have gone on to take some roles at, in you know, teaching, and that's a goal of yours, then most likely there's some value in that program for you that um, above a program that's not doing as much of that. Right. I would agree. And as a new, a future new grad myself, I know this was part of the question and I know it's probably hard to answer. Um, but as students with a large amount of student loans, we do worry a little bit about taking this opportunity on and not being able to keep up with the payments that come post-graduation. So is a salary negotiable or is it pretty set when you join a residency? And then also, I know some residencies help you defer your loans for a year. So do your programs do that? I think um, across the board, you can apply for deferment 
um, from your loan, whoever's providing your loan based on this opportunity. I could be incorrect in that, but I think you can apply for deferment regardless um, of where you go. Um, unfortunately, our salary is not negotiable in terms of percentage of a, of a, a typical salary. But the salary amount does vary if someone has more years of experience then the salary would go up. Um, I definitely know that with a three-year DPT program and the amount of student debt is something to think about. Um, but you also have to weigh that against, you know, what you're hoping to in your career um, as a pediatric physical therapist. Um, but I, I could be wrong, Jim. Do you know for certain about the loan deferment? Yeah, I'm not really sure because our our form of residency education is not similar to what is in medicine. Um, so I'm not sure about that. Uh, I, you know, I would agree though with Sally, we don't negotiate the salary. The salary is the salary. However, you know, so I chair the director's um, for the residency program. So having had a, the opportunity to talk to other residency directors, there are many different configurations as to how residency education is paid for. So I believe that like Sally and my institutions are similar. We have a set salary and this is a, a full-time position. But within our residency programs, we actually have one residency where the residents are per diem employees so their rate is higher because you know they actually had been employees and they wanted to be able to pay back their student loans so there are some programs where you could be hired as per diem and there are some programs where you're hired at a full-time salary and you pay the program for your content and so that would be a question to ask all the programs that you interview with. How do you pay the resident and how is residency education paid for? I would say this about negotiating a salary as a new grad altogether. Um, I don't think as a new grad, the leverage you have is great in terms of negotiating a salary. But I will say that the opportunities from a residency program and the track it sets you on professionally will open a lot of doors for an individual later, um, even the next year, and would allow you more opportunities to negotiate, um, you know, reimbursement for knowledge, teaching, um, and, you know, your professional life. So um, I would say that it would open a lot of doors in those in, in that realm, but I think, I think negotiating is really a challenge. And I totally agree with you, Sally. I think that, it, you know, I know the student debt is an issue, but I think if you think about the big picture, you're going to be much more marketable when you graduate from the residency program and have some leverage that that year that you're applying than you will the first year as a, as a, just a new grad a DPT grad. Right. And I've heard too, I mean, we're making some pretty incredible connections being able to work with the clinicians that we'll be working with at these residencies as mentors or as peers, if we have um, a co-resident. And so a lot of the job 
uh, networking kind of side of things is not so much what you know, but who you know. And so that's another pro to a residency after um, graduation, I guess. Agreed. Right. Yeah. One thing I do just want to mention, we've talked a lot about residency programs, obviously. Um, one thing Jim alluded to is that, um, you know, in the low 20s, maybe 25 pediatric physical therapy residency programs, there's not enough for all the folks that are interested in doing one. And as DPT programs are learning more about them and more individuals are getting interested in them, we definitely feel a call to help other sites develop residency programs. But I will say this, um, because there will be a group of individuals who do not be accepted to a residency program the first year they apply. And my advice to them would be to apply the next um, You know, if it's something they're very passionate about, continue to knock at that door and ask what, what would it take to beef up their resume or their CV or um, their application to be a viable candidate. The other thing I will say is that you can seek phenomenal mentoring as a very eager new graduate or professional in any setting. When you're applying for jobs, you should be asking, you know, who the mentors are in that setting and what their background is. Do they practice evidence-based practice? And, um, you know, making sure that you de- you can develop a relationship um, that does not have it doesn't have to be as formalized as a residency program. So um, just know that you, there still are many opportunities out there. Um, just knowing, you know, what to ask for when you're applying to jobs is important. That's a great point. I, I totally agree with you. I, I really like that um, piece of advice. And um, that kind of leads us into our last and final question. Um, if you guys have any other little bits or pieces of advice or anything to add to the students who are either getting ready to apply to the residencies or even getting ready to graduate and kind of go out as a physical therapist, whether that's within a residency or out in the clinic altogether. The one thing that I think I'm not sure that people coming out that are new graduates um, are aware of is that many of us accept our residents in August, July, August, September. And it, it's not that we are not interested, but it becomes very difficult to um, interview people that graduate late and are unable to sit for their licensure exam because uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all kind of taking a gamble, all of us, you, you as well as us, um, as to, you know, passing your board licensure and having all the paperwork ready for you to be able to hit the ground running when we start the residency programs. And it has become kind of a, you know, a double-edged sword for us because there, there have been some really great people but for, you know, I've, I've interviewed and they weren't going to be ready until the end of August. And I start the first week in August. And so they would be a month behind if I accepted them as a resident. It's not that I didn't want them as a resident. It's just the dates didn't work out. And so my recommendation is apply next year if you don't get in. Um, and that's okay. 
So I, I think that's one thing that has become somewhat of an obstacle with people applying for residency programs. So to piggyback on that, when they changed the MPTE exam to three times a year, um, it has been a hamstring to programs. So our program starts the end of June. And oh, wow. <laughs> on our website, in our flyer, and on our um, on ABPTRFE, on the uh, directory of programs, um, it does state that um, if you want to apply to our program as a new grad, you do need to get special permission to take the MPTE in April, even if you don't graduate till the end of May, beginning of June, and um, that you have to also um, have your Ohio licensure in hand, which also there's a jurisprudence exam that has to be taken online um, at a center. So those are things to know ahead of time. And when I see people applying to our program online um, through RFPTCAS, I also send them a letter just reminding them that that's, um, that's required so that nobody gets in a position where they're applying, you know, and have paid money, but aren't actually going to be eligible um, to be uh, a resident that year. Um, you know, and another thing to keep in mind is we do have other openings at our institution. And so sometimes when we have found a very um, phenomenal candidate, we will uh, try to uh, make that connection with our um, HR folks. And um, we have tremendous learning um, potential throughout the institution, throughout our department. Um, and so, you know, that's another, uh, that's not the way to get a job in a place, but uh, just to make people aware that that has happened too, where um, we have found a really good match, but we weren't able to offer that person residency program. And then the, I think the other thing would be is I'm not sure if this really, uh, if people are aware of, but many of us, at least half of the programs um, participate in the uniform announcement date. Are you aware of that? I was not aware. Of no. That. Okay. So uh, what we've agreed to, I believe that at least 50%, if not 75% of the programs will um, interview and then announce the resident that they selected or residents that they selected on the same date. It's usually, I believe is the second Monday in March. Um, and so when, you know, that, that's something to consider most, the program will tell you up front if they're participating in that. What that means is that the programs that are participating in that call their top resident uh, choice that day, I think it's March 18th at 12 noon, and the candidate has 24 hours to either accept or decline the offer. Um, and then the program moves to their number two um, candidate. And so it's been really good for our program. Um, and I think it's been helpful for the residency applicants to know when they can expect um, to hear uh, from our program. So, yeah, that's not, not every program is participating, but a good portion of them are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really good to know. Like you said, I don't think there are many PT students in general, let alone pediatric PT students that aren't along the lines of that type A personality. So we like to have a plan and know when to expect things. So that's a good question to know to ask. The other yeah. thing is um, one thing that's come up uh, for residency applicants is 
typically if you are completing your clinicals, that fall semester of clinicals is when interviews happen for residency programs. And so it depends on your institution, how many days they will allow you to be gone from a clinical and site might also have rules. So being mindful of that, um, you may get invited to five interviews, but you may or may not be able to go to all five kind of things. So keeping that in the back of your head as well, that you may need to negotiate time off from your clinic um, and make sure you're within the rules for your clinic and your academic institution. That's a good point. Just to let all the students out there know that they might interfere. The last thing I will say is that there is a phenomenal directory of programs, ABPTRFE, the American Board of Physical Therapy, Residency and Fellowship Education, um, has updated their website so that you can search by um, residency program, the specialty you want to pursue. You can search by um, the program Jim mentioned earlier whether uh, there's a salary or there's a salary, but you have to pay tuition. And on top of that, you can search by a number of different things with their advanced search option. So you can really start to narrow down um, some of the components of a residency program that would be important to you. And then there are links for all of the accredited programs to their um, one-page document about salaries and when their residency year starts, as well as, you know, links to their websites and, and flyers. Okay, that's really good to know. And we will um, leave links to these sites and the um, links to the sites for your programs, too, in the description that um, goes along with this. Great. Oh. Did you guys have any last little bit? Good luck in your application. <laughs> We'll be looking forward to reading them. Same here. I'm downloading some tonight as we speak. (laughs) You're ahead of the game. (laughs) Well, we just really wanted to thank you both so much for just sitting down with us and talking with us today. I know you're both very, very busy, so we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and um, just educate the students about what a pediatric residency is and how they can um, find the best fit for them. Thank you. Thanks for your interest. Josie and I had a great time speaking with Sally and Jim. Let's do a quick recap on everything we've learned throughout this episode. Sally and Jim had a lot of great tips on what to expect with a residency and what you should be thinking about when applying. Some of these include having a pediatric clinical during your DPT, sometimes more than one if available, getting letters of recommendation that speak to your leadership skills and not just your classroom skills, getting involved in research and volunteering with children with developmental disabilities, learning more about the LEND program and interdisciplinary work within physical therapy, figuring out the program's passing rate for the PCS or pediatric specialist certification, finding out the different roles or jobs that past residents now hold, knowing that there are 25 openings, give or take, for pediatric residencies throughout the nation, so it's a very competitive process. Knowing that a residency is not just working in the different clinics, 
surpassing competencies in each setting, going through self-study modules, and knowing that you may not be an automatic, independent practitioner, even if you're not straight out of a DPT program and have had some time working in different clinics. Know that a, pro a residency will include involvement in research, community-based programs, specialty clinics, and continuing education courses. And most importantly, know that a residency program can be tailored towards you. If you have an affinity for a special diagnosis, setting, area of study, or, or research topic, see what the residency program can do to individualize your time spent in the residency program. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, both Jim and Sally will be at CSM 2019 in Washington, D.C. If you're interested in learning more about their residency programs, check out programming and research posters from the University of Miami and Cincinnati Children's throughout the week of CSM. Our next episode will play off this one. While this episode was from the director's point of view, our next episode we will be talking to some current residents and how they perceive their experience in a pediatric residency. Did you like this episode? Is there something you want to hear more about? Let us know by emailing pedssnpnet at gmail.com. That's P-E-D-S-S-N-P-N-E-T at gmail.com. Or finding us on social media, including Instagram at SNP underscore APPT, Twitter at SNP underscore APPT, or our Facebook group at APTA, APPT, Students and New Professionals. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.